Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of the Thoughts from Limbo podcast. Today I'm joined by Amir Shaquille, who was listed on Forbes's 30 under 30 list for his work as the CTO and co-founder of Agrospheres, an eco-friendly company that makes bio-based crop protection that replaces the dangerous pesticides which degrade the environment. We talk about why and how he started a company, the highs and the challenges that come with entrepreneurship, and goal setting. We also talk briefly about his fascinating journey as an immigrant from his home country of Pakistan, now innovating to shape the future of agriculture in the US. And I was particularly impressed by how just a young group of students straight out of university decided to found a company which is now very successful. They've raised over $14 million and I can't wait to share his story with you. So I hope you enjoy. Here's Amir Shaquille. Hi, Amir. Thanks for joining me. Thank you so much for having me, Laura. It's a pleasure. God, no, the pleasure's all mine. I came across your profile on the Forbes's 30 under 30 list. And I think what your company is doing, Agrospheres, is so interesting. Um, I'm probably going to butcher it. So I'm going to let you tell us a little bit more about what Agrospheres does and how it started. Uh, thank you for uh, noticing our company. You know, we it's a great pleasure to be working in this field. It was um, just a bunch of friends in college studying biomedical engineering, you know, in a city that has a lot of vineyards around. And as part of a research project and given some of our background from developing countries, we were very aware of, you know, how bad pesticides are, how bad chemicals are. They've been sprayed for decades, you know. Initially, they've done great things because um, we needed to protect our food supply. But at some point, they became so bad for us, these chemicals that are used that they end up in our food supply chains. And when people actually start consuming pesticides as part of their food, when they end up in our water bodies in the soil, it really is very harmful to biodiversity. So we came up with this um, very cool spray we engineered that was designed to break down pesticides before grapes are harvested. So that gave us some um, early focus some some limelight, some funding um, to degrade pesticides before they make it into the wine. Mm-hmm. So that's how we got started. And today, where we stand today is we design RNA-based vaccines for plants just to eliminate the need for chemical pesticides at all. And, you know, for anyone who enjoys wine like we do, I think um, they're a big fans of these RNA vaccines. Wow, that sounds really cool. You mentioned that you're from a developing country. And so is your co-founder, actually. Are you both from the same place? Uh, Just neighboring. We were neighbors, you know. Uh, I'm from Pakistan and he was born in Iran. Ah, okay. And how did you guys meet? Because you met in the US. Yeah, we met in college. Okay. And tell me about your journey. Like, what made you want to study in the US? Like, did you already, do you come from an entrepreneurial background? What made you think, as a biochemical engineer, I want to fund a company? Um, no, I, I don't think I come from an entrepreneurial background. Um, I think in college, just you know, it was me and my co-founder and then three founding members of the team who joined very early on. The five of us working together, you know, overnighters at, uh, at vineyards, doing experiments, camping out, really bootstrapping. I think that, that was just, you know, can't describe how amazing that experience was, working on something we cared about and working with people we loved. So as part of that, you know, loved what we were doing and then also were very driven by the mission of what we were doing, mm-hmm. actually being in a place where we can impact positive change on a global scale. 
even back to the countries we come from. I think that was very impactful and powerful for us. So at that point, you know, we just did what we had to do, whether it was being entrepreneurial or bootstrapping, getting funding, um, engineering, you know, it's all been part of the journey. And it's very much mission driven. And at startups, you know, I don't like this phrase, but sometimes you do have to wear a lot of hats. And so we've definitely had to play a few different roles um, to get the company off the ground. Just out of curiosity, why don't you like the phrase? I think I just don't like a lot of these entrepreneurial phrases just because they get overhyped. Uh-huh. Um, but no, it's, there's some truth to them for sure. Yeah, I actually, I, we were talking, I was talking to my parents about this the other day because there are a lot of expressions that we use like in our day-to-day that don't make that much sense. I'm trying to think of one. I'll uh-huh. probably, if I can think of it, I'll, I'll say it later. But yeah, there's just loads of expressions that, oh yeah, it was um, that, Everybody says this as well. So apparently Einstein said um, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. And everybody, like I've heard so many people say that and somebody said it on TV the other day. And I get that the point of the message is if something doesn't work, don't keep trying, just try Uh something else. But like as a phrase, like if you listen to what the phrase says, like it, it's not actually true. Like I can a hundred percent expect a different result if I roll the same For dice sure. a load of times. Like it's not insane. It's just probability. Like it's, you know, and people just take it to be true because Einstein said it and say, oh, it must be a thing. And no, no it's like, stop overhyping phrases and quotes. Like they don't apply to every context. And also Einstein was a scientist. I'm pretty sure he like, like it did conducted many trial and error experiments yeah. that you know gave him where he tried the same thing to expecting a different result like anyway whatever <laughs> i digress that's no thank you for sharing that's i'd never heard that before and you know what you said makes a lot of sense it doesn't really apply yeah it's just not transferable to everything <laughs> um yeah. but yeah, I had a question about, um, I mean, to me, it, it's just baffling the context in which the company was founded. Because a lot of the times, like, people, you know, work in a particular environment and they see a problem and they want to solve it. But it usually, or a lot of the time, it comes after years of experience. And it just seems like, as a student, at least, I was in such a different mindset. Like, I was just you know, I'm going to tick whatever boxes I need to tick and I'm going to study whatever I need to study in order to get a good grade. Full stop. That was like where uh-huh. my head was at. So like, I find it so impressive that as students, you guys were like, this could actually be commercialized and grow into a business that's, you know, global and helps countries all over the world. Um, and people really, because it helps our health. Why do you think that you all kind of shared that same mindset? I feel like it's such a unique set of, you know, circumstances. No, that's a great question. And um, yeah, you know, I I guess the best way I have to put this is, um, and the most accurate way would be, you know, we were bioengineers and at some point I would say our second year in college, we had invented this technology that allowed you to use applications of synthetic biology without the genetic contamination. And you know, it's very well known, people don't like GMOs being sprayed everywhere. So at that point we knew and truly believed that we had a very powerful technology. 
And I think that belief, once we had it, has never changed. Um, it has grown even more so. So once we realized we had invented very powerful technology, from then on, it's just been um, you know us doing what we can to bring it to the world um, in its physical form. And the first application was degrading pesticides. There's a lot more we can do with the technology, but I think you know, as bioengineers, we loved the tech. We wanted to bring it forward. And since then, we've just stuck with it. Wow. And if you came from the same background, uh-huh. and obviously, like, within the, you know, once the company's formed, do you all have your own roles? Like, is one of you CFO, one of you is CTO, one of you is, you know, how did you define that? Because you all had the same experience. <laughs> no, I, and I just realized I missed half your questions. <laughs> I'll, I'll go oh. ahead and answer the other half. <laughs> sure. No, definitely. And you also brought up a very good point of having experience and not having experience. We definitely did not have the agriculture experience or the deep industry experience. And, you know, for any company to survive, that experience is very essential. So mm-hmm. I think having the humility to recognize that and bring on advisors, even hiring people. Um, and we have some great advisors, board members who fill in those gaps and even open doors for us. Um, That piece is very important as well. So it's okay to not have the expertise yourself. I think in our twenties, one thing we do have the privilege of is just time. We have a lot of time to spend on what we're passionate about. That may not be true for people in older stages of their life. And forgive me if I'm stereotyping anything, but that's kind of how we view the situation. So we spend a lot of time and we, you know, we learn. So we've learned a lot. We learn a lot every week, actually, and adapt as we have to. So that piece and surrounding ourselves with the appropriate expertise to counsel us where necessary is in some of um, the direction we've taken. Um, Yeah, so that goes back to your piece about expertise. And in terms of roles, yes, of course, everyone needs to have their own roles. My role is chief technology officer. So my responsibility is the technology, everything pertaining to it, internal, external, from when it leaves our site to when it goes out into the world, whether it's to a collaborator or to a field. Um, just to cover, that's one of my main responsibilities. And uh, my co-founder, Pine, is chief executive officer. He didn't start off as CEO. We hired a couple of CEOs, went through them, and very, very fortunate that one of us is running the company today. And our founding team, actually other members of our founding team and other people that came on early on, you know, they've been promoted to heads and directors today. And we have have about 20 people in the company. Most of the company today is non-founding and from very different parts of the world. And we're very blessed that all of them share our vision of a future built by nature's technologies. Oh, that's so interesting. And how did you like how how did you feel like you had the skills required to be CTO? Like how did you jump from biochemical engineer? How did you have the confidence that that was a role that you could take on? Yeah, I think that I I definitely believe that I could grow to fill the needs of this growing position, and mm-hmm. um, that has been true to date. And I don't know. I think a lot of times when you take on something. There's this one quote that I do really like. It's most of the great things that have been done in, in this world were achieved by people who weren't ready. And mm-hmm. I think that's, there's some truth to that. Sometimes you may not be ready, but 
if you're ready to take on the challenges to learn to grow and get counsel from people who may have the answers or to just figure things out as they come along. Um, I think sometimes, you know, it is taking a bet on yourself. And that's the situation we found ourselves in. See, I love that you said that because I actually, I read an article some time ago and it was by a lady. I think she was like a professor at some university in the US and she defined five different types of imposter syndrome. Like there are five different categories of people who all suffer from imposter Mm -hmm. syndrome, but for different reasons. And I definitely related to the one that's the, they call it the expert, where I think that before I get into anything, I have to be an expert. I have to have read all the books there are to know. I have to have watched all the webinars. I have to be like, I have to feel really knowledgeable about it. And really a lot of the time it's just an excuse. Like I feel like that sometimes holds people back. Like we mm-hmm. need to take more of a leap of faith, I think sometimes and put ourselves out of our comfort mm-hmm. zone and do something different that we're not a hundred percent equipped for. Plus you can't, even if you are like an expert yeah. in something, you can't predict what the future is going to hold. So, you know, you can't expect perfection. So I think it's definitely a really brave, but positive approach that you took to it. Yeah. One thing is my roles and what I'm supposed to, uh, my responsibilities or whatever I'm supposed to do. Well, more important is the team, because if there's one thing I've realized you can't do much without a team. Mm-hmm. or without support around you so i think one aspect is you know you have to figure out problems yourself but another is the, the teamwork of if i'm struggling my team has my back or if someone in my team is struggling i have their back mm-hmm. so having a team that you know having faith in a team that this team is the right team to accomplish this problem mm-hmm. or this mission i think that's more important than um, individuals and how talented individuals are mm-hmm. at solving individual problems but I think building a team that is capable of solving complex problems is probably the most important thing. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, w- I would agree. A team is so important. I mean, I'm super thankful that I do this podcast with my sister, for example. Like, she's way yeah. more techie than I am. She does all the editing. I am, um, yeah, I'm, we definitely, we, we balance each other's skills well. So that's great. I definitely agree. And I was wondering, did you have an ambition before you went to university to be an entrepreneur? Because it sounds like you just, it happened organically. Yeah, no, I I don't think I had ambition to be an entrepreneur. I think Mm -hmm. all five of us were very ambitious. Mm -hmm. Maybe we didn't know about what exactly. Um, Yeah, so no, we definitely at the end of college, we could not have predicted where we ended up. And um, what would you say the best and worst parts of being an entrepreneur? I think the, there's this Japanese term called ikigai, and it mm-hmm. references the floor being lost in the floor of what, we, what you do mm-hmm. to a point where you're um, delineated from the dimension of time mm-hmm. or you lose track of time completely, whether it's a hobby or it's work, I think. The best part is we do have that ikigai at work where everything flows beautifully. We get lost in our work. We love what we do day in, day out. That's the best part. I think the worst part is it is very um, life-consuming. I used to say time-consuming, but it's been very life-consuming where I've had to sacrifice a lot of um, personal time with family, with people I love, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. So I think that's probably the worst part. Yeah. 
Yeah, I actually, I'm going to link now that you said it, an article for everyone um, so they can read up about Ikigai in the description of this podcast, because I came across the concept recently. And I think some people are intimidated by it, because if you type it in on Google, sometimes there's like, it's like loads of, it's like a Venn diagram, but there's like loads of circles and like they overlap and people are like, like, what does this even mean? It looks like a load of calculations, but you explained it beautifully. It's essentially like finding balance in life in a way that you achieve a state of flow. Um, and like, that's really, really, and do you know, apparently if you are in a state of flow, that's when you're most productive. Like, um, well, a lot of the time we're filled with information. We, I mean, most of the time we're looking at a screen, whether it's our laptops, our TVs, our phones, and that's that distracts us like that prohibits us from achieving a state of flow and it's often like a a balance and a state of disconnection that we need in order Mm -hmm. to feel you know like we're enjoying what we're doing what like you said whether it's a hobby or whether it's work so yeah I'll have a link to an article that everyone can read to learn more about it (laughs) please share that with me as well I'd love to check it out yeah of course I will um how did you come across the concept by the way I just by chance reading i went to barnes and noble actually over the <laughs> holidays and they had a sale on their japanese books so i bought a few and they oh, talked nice. one of those books talked about this concept yeah i bought a, a book about ikigai for my dad i really loved the concept and his yeah. birthday is just before christmas so it's one of those really annoying people that i have to get them a christmas present but then i've also got to think about a separate present <laughs> um so it was a book <laughs> <laughs> Um, I was wondering, because I, I read that you recently, or maybe recently, maybe it was just since the article I read was published, that you raised 11 million in funding for AgroSphere's. Um, how do you go about that? Like, what does the process entail? I have no idea what, you know, raising money for a business entails. No, I hear you. That's a great question. Um so our money, I'm kind of, I'm just thinking about how to answer your question the most effectively. Sure. Uh, essentially, if there's three main sources of revenue for us or cash flow um, that comes in, it's venture capital investments, grant investments, and then um, revenue from partner payments for joint um, R&D projects. Mm-hmm. Since we are, um, so those are our three main um, cash flow sources currently. The VC world, you know, you start at the seed stage you create some uh, traction, some recognition, and the VC world is unique, um, got some traction there. And um, yeah, some doors opened by some people we hired, some advisors. So navigated that world, um, you essentially pitch, show your business model, show what you've done. And if you're compelling, you can attract some VC financing. Mm-hmm. The second piece is the grant funding, which we have a lot of national and state initiatives to fund initiatives such as ours Mm -hmm. to actually bring our product to farmers locally um, and nationally in the country. That's our second source. And the third is when we work with these really big companies um, in need of our technology for some unique problems they may be facing. You know, a lot of these big companies want more um, environmentally friendly products themselves. Mm -hmm. So they usually um, fund us to develop these for them too. So those are some of the um, cash flow streams for early companies that are pre-commercial launch. Okay, cool. And do you get involved in when you mentioned the pitching process for the VC 
um, for venture capital. Do you get involved in the pitching process? Yes, absolutely. Um, me and my co-founder, Pime, um, we shoulder that. We're actively involved in those uh, VC raises, yes. Oh my God, I, I'm imagining Dragon's Den. I don't know, if, I assume you have that show in the US. Well, like, I haven't seen it actually. Oh God, it looks petrifying. It just looks like <laughs> a really scary situation to yeah. put yourself in. So there's literally like a panel of investors and you have to go and basically convince them to invest in your product. I think that that's maybe partly like that. It started off when we were doing competitions and stuff. Mm-hmm. But these days, it's a lot of, um, you know, small group meetings in different cities in the U.S. And um, yeah, maybe you'll spend a day, uh, build a relationship, get intimate with the company, with what the VCs are looking for. And um, hopefully there's a good mutual fit there. Oh, that sounds way more up my alley. I think I could do that. I could make friends with people <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. do it in a day. That sounds yeah, way no, less how, how they show it on the... <laughs> I think how they showed on TV with the, you know, fast-paced pitching. Uh-huh. I at least that's not been the reality for us. When you get to the millions uh-huh. of being raised, maybe under a million, yes, that is true. But when you get to that bigger scale, at least that's not been the case for us. Okay, God, and that takes me on to my other question actually, because I feel, I just feel like it's such a, it must feel like such a huge responsibility to be the owner or the co-owner. And one of the people who runs a company that's worth over 10 million, like way over 10 million. How is that? How do you manage the stress and just everything, the pressure? For sure. Um, you know, it is, sometimes you definitely feel the weight on your shoulders. Um, it is a very big responsibility that we take very seriously. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for anyone listening who is in a similar situation, I'll just advise you. Don't overstress yourself out. Have healthy practices, meditation, football, yoga, um, and you know, just managing your stress, not getting in your head with the stress. And I think making sure you're around people where you maintain, you know, good, honest communication with regarding where you are, what are the challenges, what are you doing to overcome these challenges, is important. Um, but yeah, it's very important to not stress yourself out because that'll compromise your performance. Mm-hmm. So yeah, my advice is don't get yourself too stressed out. Hire people to offload your burdens a bit just to have a shared mission going forward. But yeah, like mindfulness and balance is very important. You mentioned earlier that you were very ambitious. Have you set any particular goals for yourself for actually both for, for Agrospheres as a company and then for yourself? Like, do you have any personal goals for 2022? Uh, yeah, for sure. I think definitely we have company goals and personal goals. Uh, would you like to hear a few? Yeah, sure, please. Yeah, I think we have several goals. Um, you know, one of our legacies is definitely bringing RNA, um, this concept of personalized agriculture, mm-hmm. at least to the US, where it's not just one solution fits the all, but actually making sequence specific or plant specific stuff for different regions. That's one of our goals. I think that may take more than a year to achieve. And then we have, you know, smaller goals year by year to get us there. Well, that's one goal we're very passionate about. And personally, you know, something as simple as I'd like to spend more time motorcycling this year. Uh, There's a few trails in North Carolina. There's this road called the Tail of the Dragon. 
thing I'd like to make it out there this summer. Wow. Having had a good mix of ambitious and some simple goals is usually good. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Actually, out of curiosity, do you and the other co-founders, do you hang out a lot outside of work or do you kind of try to separate work life and normal life to achieve more of a balance? No, like that's why I was saying that piece is so special is everything blends in together for us. We all play nice. soccer together and we're actually winning champions in our city. Wow. Uh, we play football together. Um, so no, we do a lot of things together. We have a very good balance, great relationship. God, that's so nice. You seem like such a chill and calm person. I feel like, you know, my sense of responsibility is way lower than yours is. And I'm such a giant stress head. <laughs> you seem so like zen. <laughs> No, definitely I try to be Zen. I think most of us are like that. Uh, we definitely try to recruit chill people. Or <laughs> we have a fountain in our office. It's I got to clean it today. It's not working, but... Nice. Yeah. I was wondering, what would your advice be for anyone who's like in their early 20s? Because, I mean, out of pretty much anyone that I've spoken to, I think, I assume you're in your 20s purely because I found you on the Forbes' 30 under 30 list. Um, but yeah, you seem like someone who got off to a flying start pretty much from the get-go. And for a lot of people in their 20s, like straight out of university, it doesn't, it isn't as smooth sailing. And a lot of people try different things and one thing doesn't work and et cetera, et cetera. Like what advice would you give to someone who's like frustrated and just wishes they were in your position? And I say that for our listeners, but also predominantly for myself. (laughs) For sure. Um, I think if there's one advice I would give it, I've seen a lot of people in their 20s just be distracted or swayed with what they want to do in life by what other people want or just what everyone is doing or where the, you know, modern life is evolving towards so i would just say take a step back from that don't get caught up on your achievements relative to others because when we started off you know our starting salary was barely anything bootstrapping we didn't really have you know the forbes recognition or anything that stuff is cool um doesn't matter that much so don't get caught up in that um just focus on you know just listen to your inner voice on what path you want to take and worry less about achievements Mm -hmm. and more about just you know being and experiencing and taking steps uh, taking one day at a time like of course we have plans we make plans and try to follow the path but you know you never completely adhere to the path just take it a day at a time don't stress yourself out and you know make the decisions that seem right to you there is no one right decision you just got to make the decision that's right for you I'm really glad to hear you say that. That is a perfect note to end on. I love that. It's been a pleasure. I hope you don't get too stressed out these days, you know. Yeah, 2022. I'm I'm looking forward to it. I feel like, you know, turned a page. Yeah, for sure. Well, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for your time. It was a pleasure. Thanks so much for listening, guys. We really hope you enjoyed the episode. As always, please remember to rate, review and subscribe. We love hearing from you. Bye.